Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, and I'm the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. So today's episode, I'm joined by Holly Morphew. She is a financial coach, a real estate investor. Man, she's got a lot of stuff going on. You can find more about her at financialimpact.com, and I'll link to all of her profiles or social media profiles in the show notes. Holly shares a lot of great nuggets with us today, but I want to focus on three main points. Number one, seasons for building wealth. We also have been talking about seasons for real estate investors in the W2 Capitalist Mastermind. Talk about establishing a lighthouse fund. We'll get into what that is a little bit. And then the third thing is pillars of financial independence. And Holly gets into what her pillars of financial independence that she uses to coach her, uh, I was going to say students, but coaches her players on from a financial aspect. So that's it. All right, let's get to work. You are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. Yeah. Um, can you remind me how we got connected? So, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it's on Facebook. It had to be on Facebook. And the reason I say that is, you know, uh, you hear this saying, or I've heard it, uh, it seems like the more I expand my circle of folks, the more I hear the saying, but it's basically you are a sum of the five people you're around the most, right? So, uh, I'm very much an introvert. Uh, now I do very good behind a keyboard and a, and you know, a, a camera, but, I I don't, I'm not very outgoing as far as going to meet new people. So social media is great for me. Mm-hmm. So I started just friending people who had like-minded interest. And I think that's how we got, I, I, well, I'm not think, I know that's how we got connected. Luckily you accepted. And then I saw your, um, your book come out yeah. or, or it's about to come out. You posted something about, uh, which cover you're getting some yeah. feedback on the cover, which I want to know which one you decided to see if it was yeah. one of those. So, um, and that's when I saw, when I saw the title, uh, I like this to be a perfect guest to come on and talk. So make sure we talk about that. And I've got some qu- couple of questions around it. So for sure. All right. Um, Let's go and on. everything we just talked about is going to be included. Cause I just, rec- I hit record. So, if you're oh. good, I'm- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I was, uh, doing my research on you. I've got a, one question. Uh, it was on your profile. That you said you hike. I don't even know if I'm going to say this right. Well, let me back up. Please tell me how to say your last name. Morphew. 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 It comes from Morpheus, the Greek god of sleeping and dreaming. God, that should be my last name. <laughs> that's my wife would say. Well, that that's you. Yeah, that's Morphew. Okay, which is funny. So our our uh, W two capitalist group um, started when I started it, I wanted a mascot. I didn't really know what to go for as a mascot. So I thought, well, who is the Greek God of wealth? Mm. So we ended up with Plutus. That's the little figurine. As much as my son says that, Hey, that looks like you, daddy. It's, it's not me. <laughs> I'm not a Greek God yet, but 
One day. One day. <laughs> One yeah. day. But I was doing my research on you and you you have something in there um that says hike fourteen ers Mm-hmm. What is that? A fourteener. Fourteen yeah, what's what's yeah, a fourteener? Okay. Fourteeners are Colorado's highest mountains. Okay. Fourteen thousand feet high. Okay. I was going to say either there's 14 of them or it's an elevation thing. So, <laughs> yeah. so to put that into perspective, Mount Everest is 28,000 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. And I believe Aconcagua is 23. So, you know, 14 is pretty high. I mean, once you get above tree line, you're yeah. huffing, huffing. Every step is a slow step. Now, what is the tree line? What's, what elevation is that? 11? Around 10, 11. Okay. So, um, I don't know what the highest point in Florida is. It might be 500 feet, which is where I'm at, right? And you're in Colorado, correct? Okay. Yep. So is there, uh, how many 14ers are there uh, in Colorado? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, but your goal, is, your goal is not just to hike the ones in Colorado, right? It's... my So my goal, my bucket list item, I have many of them, but one yep. of them is to hike every mountain range in the world before I die. And where are you on that goal? <laughs> so I've hiked in Indonesia. I've hiked Machu Picchu. Hiked all over the U.S. Yeah. Um, hiked in Europe. Nice. So, so you, I want to get a big map and start pinpointing all the ranges. Making the pins, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had that ambition too when I was in my early twenties. Uh, uh, this is a more, I don't even know why I'm going here, but, um, my buddy and I, we sat on a three day hike, uh, track, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we come up on a spot is in, um, Chihuahua state park in Alabama, which is the highest spot in Alabama. And it's like 3,500 feet. Okay. So, but we were six miles in and we get into this clearing where there was a bunch of debris and whatnot. Um, and turns out there was a plane crash the night before. Uh, we were the first two people to discover the plane crash and the people in it. It was a single engine Cessna plane. Um, so my first time to ever see a dead body outside of the um, funeral home in that shape. And I was like, I am scarred forever. I had nightmares for a long time. And that was the last time I actually went hiking. So I kind of wow. got as a sign is I don't need to be in the woods anymore. So <laughs> what a story. How long ago was that? That was, um, that was about 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> um, so, so you and I connected on Facebook. You have a book coming out. It's called Light About Money. It's L-I-G-H-T, not like Miller Light. You know, Correct. Light About Money. But what really caught my eye was the busy professional's guide to creating wealth and feeling powerful and confident when it comes to money which I think is just a subject that I'm interested in. So when it comes out, I'm going to be, I looked on Amazon earlier and I thought it may be ready for pre-sale already, but I didn't see it. So unless I'm searching wrong, uh, it's not ready yet. Right. Yeah, you're not. My goal was, so I wrote this book in three months. I came back from a couple of conferences last year and just was on fire and had clarity like, you know, never before. And I've already written, master your money and crush your debt. And so I thought I'd put this book out, just, you know, an ebook, get it up on Amazon. But I really want to put out something awesome. And so now I have a couple publishers that I'm talking with. So it will be out this year. Okay. 
You'll have to, so no date yet, but it is, no date yet. but you're already deciding on the cover photo. Okay. So for those of you listening, so, um, Holly posted something on her Facebook page or Facebook, personal Facebook page, mm-hmm. right? About, Hey, which cover should I choose? I voted for one, but which one did you end up going with? Do you want me to tell you which one I went with first? So I thought the, the one with the black dress looked very much more professional. Mm. So that's why I voted for that. Given the title of the book. Yes. Your face is telling me you didn't go with that one. No, you're right. I went with number one. I went with number one. Yes. And actually, you know, you don't usually put your face on a book, right? I mean, some people do. Um, I've never written a book, so I don't know. (laughs) But the reason I did this is because it truly is my, the culmination of the 13 years that I've been a financial coach. This is just a simple system. You follow it. You, it, you, you put the pieces in place and you build wealth every day. You are either building wealth or you're not. It doesn't matter how much money you make. What matters is how much you keep and what you do with it. So I just decided I'm going to put all of this coaching, like my whole coaching program is in this book. Nice. Okay. So let's talk about your coaching uh, experience. Cause I noticed on uh, financialimpact.com, you've got a blog, you've got a lot of different stuff going on there. And I want to get into one of your posts here in a minute, but tell like, I've never had a financial coach or a financial consultant or advisor, whatever the, and are, are those interchangeable terms or no? A financial coach or a financial consultant or a financial advisor are all those kind of interchangeable. I would say there's a big difference between a financial coach and a financial advisor. Okay. And there is a financial advisor is the person you go to, to help you invest the money that you already have. A financial coach is the person you go to, to help you create wealth. Okay. And this has been my, my career long mission, if you will, is to help people understand that, you know, not everyone is born into wealth and not everyone has a million dollar portfolio, but, (laughs) but they can just shop financial advisors to, you know, put into different funds. There's a, there's a process of creating wealth and that's the missing link. And that's why I started out teaching personal finance in 2006 is because I didn't get any financial education in school. I just uh, am one of the lucky ones who grew up talking about money and real estate and business at the dinner table with my parents because they're entrepreneurs and their parents were entrepreneurs. So I learned about money and then started teaching personal finance alongside my other entrepreneurial endeavors, like investing in real estate, like working with startup companies. Right. So, um, by the way, you're not the only one that was failed by whatever, I don't know if it was public or private school system, but you know, it's amazing, even in the college level, how they don't teach you how to budget, you know, personally, how to, what, how to generate money, right? It's, it's almost like they're, and I apologize, my, my kids just got home and you're probably going to hear a small tear, what sounds like a small pterodactyl in the background, but it's really my two-year-old <laughs> daughter. Anyway, um, but it's amazing how in any level of school, there is very little talk about here's how you create personal wealth, right? Because I guess if you look at the, um, the, institu- the educational institution, it is driven <laughs> it is driving. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but you can. I'm sorry. Uh, driving education is driving people to get a job uh, and go to work for the rest of their life, right? And be a consumer. And be a consumer. Yes. And and, yeah. and and carry debt. I mean, the economy is set up so that we spend a lot of money on education 
we get a job and we get approved for loans that keep us just on the edge of being indebted, which, you know, debt can be used as a tool. So I'm very much in the middle of, I don't believe that debt is evil at all. You know, I believe that debt can be used to build wealth if it's used responsibly. But yep, you know, the, the system sort of is set up to keep wealth a secret and it's just not wealth is for everyone. And so, and you started this, um, coaching business in 2006, Mm -hmm. which would have been a really good time to do it, except for what happened in the next couple of years. Right. So that had to be, I I can't imagine what you're going through in your mind. Like what the heck does I think? I mean, how did that, how did that affect your coaching business? Maybe it helped a lot, right? Because people were in financial strain or, um, you know, nobody was really, or at least nobody I ran around with was really prepared for kind of what happened. But so talk to me a little bit about that. How did that affect you? Did it help? Did it hurt? What was the, what was the idea there? Well, ultimately it helped me. But in 2006, when I started teaching personal finance, I was teaching it through Rotary International. I actually proposed this idea that, you know, I said, look, why don't I go to local high schools and start teaching kids who are getting ready to graduate from high school about money, you know, and about what it means to get this degree and graduate with it and what your entry level salary will be, what your life will be like. And kind of start from the end and work backwards because what I found is that I bought my first house when I was almost 25 years old. I built it. So I bought, you know, I purchased it when I was 24. It was completed when I was 25. And I looked around and I wondered why aren't any of my friends doing this? Because it really was empowering for me. You know, I immediately got a couple of roommates. They were helping me pay my mortgage. And so at the time I had a job, you know, I had a full-time job. I was working for a home builder. I worked in real estate for six years, the beginning of my career. And so when I started teaching personal finance, I was teaching it as a service project. So it was not a business yet. And that, that workshop was wildly popular. I mean, I had parents of kids asking me, Hey, when's your next workshop? Maybe I can come in and sit in on it. And that's (laughs) when I started thinking, Oh, Everyone needs financial education, not just young adults, but, and even now I'm working with people in their fifties, primarily I'm working with people in their thirties and forties, you know, they're earning money. They just don't know what to do to get ahead. You know, it's about putting your dollars to its highest and best use, you know? And so no one's teaching that it's, it's getting better. You know, Colorado is one of the, one of the first States to make financial education a part of curriculum, not a mandatory part of curriculum, but a part of curriculum. And so, and there are all these great organizations now, like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that's putting out some great financial education and and lots of them. NIFI is another great one. So our access to personal financial education now, you know, you just do a quick Google search and you can learn how to crush your debt and, you know, how to invest in real estate, but um, you have to really seek it out. Yeah. And, and how do you, you know, I, I figure out how to word this, but I, when I started this, basically, you know, connecting with you and other like-minded folks, you know, just we'll take social media for an example. What my, what's in my feed today versus what it was a couple of years ago is tremendously different, right? As, as because of who I'm um, virtually hanging around with. So 
as you start to see, and, and I've started seeing more investors and I'm thinking, man, has this world existed this entire time or am I just hitting it at the right time and it's just blowing up, right? From a real estate investing standpoint. And what I'm led to believe it's, it's always been there, right? And it's been one of these kind of secrets behind the door, but it's also gaining some momentum not as much as I would like for it to for my personal friends, because I will have conversations with them about what I'm doing from a real estate standpoint. And they'll tell me how risky it is. They're, you know, but they're not knowledgeable about it. Right. But they'll tell me how risky it is and how they can't see how I'm doing that. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in the same conversation, they're smiling and telling me about the, uh, about those stock market losses they just had last week and how they're not doing good in that, but they're smiling about it. And I'm like, man, what? There is a, there's a disconnect somewhere, and I'm, I just can't figure out what that is. So maybe it's my presentation because ultimately I want them to get where where I'm at, right, or surpass where I'm at. But it's it's that whole mindset of got to get rich now, right? So I don't know. There's just there's something there that I can't put my my finger on. But anyway, um, what does a normal coaching session and out maybe normal is kind of too broad, but what does a normal coaching session uh, with you look like? Like, what could I expect if I said, hey, Holly, I, I need some financial coaching? Mm. Because yeah. I probably do, because I've never had one, you know, and, and I don't know what I don't know. And I'm, you mentioned conferences earlier, which I, I realized um, we were both at FinCon last year. And anyway, so... Are you going to uh, be there this year? We're trying to... Um, it's in DC, right? So yeah. we have, anytime I take a, a trip like that, we try to make it a family trip, but we'll at, by September, we'll have a, a four-year-old, a two-year-old and about a three month old by then. Wow. So yeah. I don't, I don't Congratulations know. Congratulations on that. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. I have a brother and a sister. So, you know, I, I come from a family of five and nice. It was a glorious childhood. I'm yeah. very close to my brother and my sister. And were you the oldest, youngest in the middle? I'm the middle. Okay. Yes. Um, and so I had a, I have one older brother. We're 13 months apart, and uh, we fought like cats and dogs growing up. So um, having a daughter has really opened my eyes. Even, you know, she's just two, but like, I do not know what to do with uh, raising a little girl. I don't, I don't know what to do. So my wife is luckily, and we don't, you know, she's, she had uh, two older sisters. Uh, so she's definitely stepping in, uh, stepping up big time on that one. The other thing too, we don't know what the third one is. So we have, we didn't find out on any of the kids, but um, I'm more anxious to find out now than uh, I don't know why just <laughs> and selfishly. I want it to be another little boy, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, but what does a coaching session with you look like, right? And now I'll let you know if I'm coming to FinCon. We, we've got to figure that out. But um, yeah, I just found out I my panel was accepted, so I'm speaking this year. Okay, so awesome. You kind of have to come to my panel. <laughs> Absolutely. So is when you say a panel, so it's going to be you and a few other folks up there mm-hmm. just fielding questions from the audience. Yep, we're talking about how to build a financial coaching business. Oh wow! Okay, mm-hmm. which is the the a great place to do it, FinCon, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I'm a pioneer as far as as far as financial coaches go. When I first started doing this, 
I didn't know what to call myself. And there was a lot of confusion around, you know, are you a financial advisor? Are you a counselor? I actually have four certifications. Okay. So, um, and none of them have the word coach in it. I just am a natural coach. I coached high school, high school volleyball for 14 years and nice. that's my style. You know, I really want to help people uh, discover the truth that is already within themselves and help them tap into their potential. I mean, creating wealth is just a system. It really is. I mean, right. you asked what is a coaching session like? So I offer two different programs. I offer a three month program with the option to continue on for three more months. And then we focus on that passive income, the additional income stream, whether someone has an online business or they want to start a business or they want to invest in real estate. So it's all about, you know, once you accomplish those pillars of financial independence, then you move into, all right, well, if you want to crush your debt even faster or build your lighthouse fund, which is what I call an emergency savings account, um, even faster, then how do you create additional income in your life that's going to be sustainable? And ultimately, you know, my goal was always to not have to go to a job. Uh, but the yeah. thing about it is that I love the name of your podcast, Jay, W2 Capitalist, because this is what I teach. When you have a job, it is your greatest responsibility to make the most of all of the benefits that you're getting and to really know your numbers, you know, know what you're bringing in, know what you're putting out and know what your goals are. Because if you know that, you know, you want to quote unquote retire when you're 45, by the way, I don't even really like to use the word retire. Retirement's dead. <laughs> Retirement's dead. It's, yes. it's not even... It's, it's non-existent for our generation. There's no way. It's yeah. I mean, let's talk about reality. Does anyone yeah. really think that a millennial graduating with the average $30,000 in credit card debt with the, you know, we know that income has flattened since the 1970s. It has, but the cost of living has gone up. The cost of education has gone up. Debt is on the rise. I mean, we've done, you know, basically three things to, to account for that flattening income and rise in lifestyle. And that's number one, women have joined the workforce. Mm. Number two, we're working longer hours or multiple jobs, you <laughs> mean, right? right? Jobs, yep. quote unquote. Um, and number three, we're taking on more debt. And, you know, high consumer debt is a KPI of our economy, a key performing performance um, indicator. Yes. Of, of a healthy economy. So if that doesn't tell you anything that when consumer debt goes up, the economy is healthy, is that really good for the little person who's trying to get ahead and create wealth? Not necessarily. Nope. Yeah. So, you know, it just, it comes down to knowing what is the highest and best use of every dollar that you're earning every month, whether you have a full-time job, a part-time job, you're an entrepreneur and your income is inconsistent. And then knocking out the pillars in a certain order, right? So, I mean, first you got to take care of yourself. The whole point of wealth and financial independence, right? And that's what I call retirement now. Financial independence. The ability to pay for your expenses with income you receive from sources other than a job. If a job isn't, you know, a lot of people love their job. They love their I work with a lot of career-driven leaders. These are, right. you know, people in the trades, doctors, engineers, attorneys, people who, you know, love their nine to five and they're going somewhere with it and it fulfills them. But, you know, if you've got a cap on your W2 job of say, I don't know, 80, 90, a hundred K, then what do you do to supplement that? And there are 
infinite ways to create money in your life in this yeah. economy. And it's, uh, it, you know, that was one of the things that I struggle and, and drove, struggle with and drove me to create, uh, which uh, basically a, a Facebook group, which has led to the W2 Capitalist podcast. Um, the Facebook group, I'm getting tongue tied. The Facebook group is real estate investing for the W2 employee, right? And so that's how this all kind of has evolved. But um, what I realized is that the financial goals that I had set for myself and for my family, I wouldn't be able to get with just a W2 job alone. Right. And I was like, what else can I do? And we'd always been interested in real estate and there's, I've got a lot of material on how we got started and all that stuff, but you are correct. And you keep mentioning pillars, uh, which is funny because in our uh, W2 capitalist mastermind group, we're going through uh, the we're recording this in the month of April. We're going through the 10 pillars of wealth by is it Alex Becker. Alex Becker. Are you familiar with that book? Is that what you're referencing? No. Okay. No, these are my pillars. Those are your pillars. Okay. So the pillars of wealth by, by Holly Morphew, right? So, <laughs> right. Um, so how many, let's talk about that for a minute. What are the different pillars that you see that someone needs to establish to be on the road to uh, creating wealth, right? Yeah. So the first thing that anyone should do to start creating wealth in their life is identify their impact factor. And your impact factor is the money you have left over after you pay your bills. That's it. So first you're gonna add up your monthly income, then you're gonna add up your monthly expenses, then you're gonna subtract your expenses from your income, and that's the money that you have to work with. You know, and some people, some people might have $100, others might have $1,000. And then others might look at their expenses and see where they can trim expenses yep. or look at their income and start thinking, huh, I really like my lifestyle as it is. I don't want to trim any expenses, but I also want to create wealth. How do I do it? How you have to increase your income. And that's where, I mean, you know, you can do, I call it short term, quick cash, you yeah. know, <laughs> increase in the next two to three months, or right. you can do something now that's going to pay off big down the road. Yeah. So, and there's, you know, one of the things, I guess, misnomers that I uh, pinned on myself when I started this journey uh, was that whatever lane I choose to go into, it's permanent. It's not the case, right? There are different seasons you're going to go through. Like we'll go through, usually it's around Christmas time, usually Q4. We will uh, alter our saving habits to have a little bit better lifestyle, right? We'll take a little extra trip. We don't necessarily budget because we went through a year and a half of extringent budgeting. So I pretty much know when we go out to eat, that's one of our biggest expenses. Um, when we go out to eat, how many times, like if it's Wednesday and we've hit that number already, I already know in the back of my, you know, how much each meal is going to cost. Mm. So I'm kind of doing that math. So I'm not necessarily budgeting, writing everything down or looking at, uh, mint or anything like that, this calculator on that, but I will mentally make note of it, um, for a season and then we'll get real strict and for a season we'll be real strict and we'll have this explosion of savings and then we'll make another, usually, usually that leads up to another acquisition, another rental property, and then we'll relax for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, personally, I probably could be a little bit more, uh, discipline in that. And I think that's where a, a 
potential coach could help me out, <laughs> right? Because I, I kind of imagine like with when I think of a coach, I'm thinking of like a high school football coach who's going to make sure you're doing your workouts, who's going to be running drills with you, who's going to come up and tell you what drills you need to run uh, and those sorts of things. And right now I don't have that. It's it's kind of been on myself and I've been probably a little bit more relaxed than I normally am for the last year or so. So um, when I found that out about your, your coaching business, like, okay, this is really about me. It's not necessarily to try to promote Holly. It's in her book, but it's about how can, do I need a financial coach? <laughs> but um, so that's, you mentioned uh, something else too about coaching folks and how you discover, how did you word it about what you want out of life? Not necessarily what you want. I think what triggered in my mind was your calling, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. You coach volleyball and now you're coaching people on their finance and the, I'd imagine the, the results you see when somebody does really good or when you just hear or see somebody following your advice, how rewarding that is. Um, I've started doing that with our mastermind group, um, which has led to another job opportunity I'm seeking right now that I've discovered about myself. I didn't know this. I never really had a chance to coach but I get a lot out of just helping other people and seeing them succeed is kind of, and it's self-serving too, because the more time I talk, talk to them about whatever they're trying to do real estate wise, um, the more it's just practice for me, right? It's just drills. So, um, the other thing you talked about was debt can be a tool, which is not a very popular opinion amongst a lot of financial advisors. I know you're not an advisor, you're a coach, right? Mm -hmm. So talk, let's talk about that because I believe that too. Now I, I'll say that I started before we dove into this real estate investing, um, pretty heavy. I was going to say full time, but we're not full time yet. Um, we went through the baby steps of Dave Ramsey, you know, I think like six or seven, which he's the ultimate, uh, no debt guy. Right. So we paid off all our debt. Um, the only debt that we have now is our, um, mortgages on our rental properties and we still pay off everything every month, but we did it by still holding on to our credit cards because we have some cards that provide some really good rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm, I, I don't subscribe to that part of this plan, but I don't think we would be where we're at if we wouldn't have done several of those steps. So let's talk about how debt can be used as a tool and what do you, what, how do you coach folks to, to use debt as a tool. Yes. Um, and I love that you're talking about seasons because wealth building does come down to seasons, especially for those who are working and building wealth alongside that. Right. Yep. So as an example, Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote rich dad, poor dad, he actually bought his first real estate with credit cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he bought four condos and used a credit card as a down payment, $40,000, $10,000 each. each. <laughs> you know, then he paid it back right away. But here's the thing. There's a difference between non-performing debt and debt that could potentially be performing. So what I mean by non-performing debt 
Hey everybody, I want to take a break from the action real quick and point you over to Passive Real Estate Investor Academy. It's one of our affiliate sponsors for the show. Um, Annie Dickerson, who leads up the academy there, I've met her, I met her at a conference last year. I uh, wanted to meet her because she is actually on uh, one of our posts, uh, 12 sites every financial freedom seeker should know about. Uh, the things that they're doing at Good Ag Investments, uh, I'm just amazed by. Uh, she had a very successful W2 career, but also, uh, I think it was last year, uh, 2018, she was able to pull her parachute cord and become a corporate dropout and focus on real estate investing full time. So, and by that, I mean her and her partner are now syndicating deals through their uh, corporation, Good Egg, Good Egg Investments. And what I'm most impressed by these these ladies, what they're doing is they closed, I think it was around 3,500 doors last year. Um, and now they're teaching, they've launched this course, Passive Real Estate Investor Academy, uh, to teach people what it really means to become a passive real estate investor and working with syndicators, whether you work with them or not, helps you understand what a passive real estate investor is all about. So check them out. We have a specific link for you. You can find it at helmsrei.com slash P-R-E-I-A. All right, let's get back to it. Is like credit card debt. It's high interest rate. You know, you, you used cards to buy things that go down in value or don't have value over time, like food, gas, you know, plastic things from Target that you're just going to throw away the next day. Right. Um, you know, that's really the debt that just is a, you know, it can wreck a budget and it can yeah. really be a detriment to building wealth. And I'm, I'm a fan of Dave Ramsey. I, I took his course way back in the day when I was in my early twenties. He's one of the first people that I started listening to when it came to money. And then of course I started, you know, reading Tony Robbins and um, reading Robert Kiyosaki and then David Bach. And then of course there are hundreds of other really great financial authors out there. So as an example of using debt as a tool, you know, you might have, for example, a HELOC. Okay. Now we cannot write off the interest yep. on the HELOC. So that's kind of unfortunate, but it also can serve as a way to improve a property that you already own and potentially increase your rental rates yep. or your sell price. And so, you know, you might spend 20 grand and be paying, say, let's just call it 6% for a few months. But once the house is sold or the house is rented, you start paying that debt back right away. I mean, paying debt back is always going to be the highest priority of your dollars unless it's a ridiculously low APR. Because then you have to think cash is king. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's right. always going to be a time in your life when you need cash. And this is why when I talk about the pillars of financial independence, I'm talking about taking your entire impact factor every single month. And yes, if you have high interest rate debt, the majority of that is going to be going towards crushing your debt and eliminating it. But at the same time, as any adult, you know, whether you have kids or you don't, you have a car or you don't, you have assets or you don't, you're going to need to take care of yourself and you're going to need some money for something, whether it's a medical bill, new car tires, hot water heater, whatever it is, you're always going to need money. And so, you know, if you're totally focused on just eliminating your debt and you have no savings, then you're going to have to always fall back on your debt. And yeah. so I want to help people get in the position where Every single month, they're literally watching their assets grow because their impact factors on autopilot. Their debt's going away just like that. 
There's they, and I, I recommend three savings accounts and there's a reason for it, Okay. <laughs> but there, those savings accounts are growing every single month. Retirement accounts, the ones that you need. And when I say you, everyone has a different financial situation. So you can't just read a book and, you know, apply that structure to your personal finances because, you know, some people need life insurance. Some people don't, um, you know, some people need a lot more savings than others because they have a higher risk lifestyle, you know, like the, the possibility of losing their job or injury or health. And so all of these should be accounted for when you're on that path of building wealth and, and building the pillars of financial independence. And really the pillars just come down to eliminating your non-performing debt, building your savings, saving for retirement in the right accounts and the right amount investing, you know, you've got to make your money grow and that's it, you know? And then from there, it's, it's about wealth building. Once you have those pillars in place and your accounts are growing every single month, you're free. Yeah. And then all the money that was going towards debt and lighthouse fund. Now you take that, put that into your investment account. Maybe it's a holding tank for a piece of real estate or holding tank for a business that you're either bootstrapping yourself or you want to invest in or any of the other million investment opportunities that there are that you don't know about unless you have a certain amount of social capital or just ingenuity and you want to go out there and look for opportunities. So you mentioned uh, HELOC, which we're going through the process right now of of applying for a homemaker line of credit for this house that our primary residence. I don't know if I want to do a homemaker line of credit or do a cash out refinance because I don't, I love the idea of home equity line of credit uh, because it's, it's basically just a big credit card that's sitting there waiting for me to use it. Right. And I'm not charged interest on anything that I haven't used yet, but something you just said triggered, well, maybe I'm looking at this wrong because, and the, the reason why we're applying now is I, I think within about 12 to 18 months, we're going to see a little bit downturn, downturn in the real estate market. That's what my crystal ball is telling me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are going to be bigger opportunities for us to take advantage of. If our house is victim of what I think is coming, I would rather go ahead and have that money available now uh, or get it in place. So we're kind of sitting on some cash or cash equivalent, right? You just said, you know, with a HELOC, you cannot uh, claim the interest uh, uh, for a tax deduction, but on a cash out refinance, I would be able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say which one you would prefer because I, I know I left a lot of variables out of that, <laughs> that equation because yeah. I don't have them yet. Right. We're just now starting this process. But let's just say I get a 6% HELOC or uh, um, which is money I'm not going to use until I'm ready to buy something. Or I go ahead and do a cash out refinance where I'm going to get a four and a half, maybe 5%. Let's just say five because I think that's more realistic. A 5%. 30 year fixed, uh, amortization loan. Uh, but I'm not going to use that money for probably another year, year and a half, which, how do I determine what's the best use of that money? Does that make sense? And I know it, makes, on this it makes a lot of sense. It's a great question to be asking, especially for a real estate investor, right? Cause it's about the usability <laughs> of your money today yep. and the leveraging power that you have of tomorrow. You know, I can't give you an answer without knowing the full picture and knowing what, you know, when those dollars are going to be used. But what I can say about a HELOC is that, you know, you get it and you don't have to use it and you can use money. um, You can use your HELOC for lots of different 
in lots of different ways. If you did a cash out refi, then guaranteed you're paying interest no matter what. And in in the game of personal finance, you know, I get this question all the time. You know, Holly, is it better for me to pay down my mortgage or use that extra money to invest in the market? Right. Because if you can get a return in the market above 12% and your mortgage rate is at, I don't know, five or 6%, well, then you know you have the potential to earn. Let's just use the numbers 6% on the loan and 12% on the potential returns. That's a gain of 6% if you choose to invest it instead of pay down your your mortgage. But here's the thing. Big but. Interest is guaranteed you're paying interest no matter what. Are returns guaranteed? No. The market can change at any time. And that's why I'm always looking for ways to insulate myself against the potential of the future. Risk. But also, yeah, but also being mindful that at any point in time, I might want to buy a property. You know, there might be a great deal in Colorado and I want to be primed to to purchase that. Yep. So, you know, having cash is powerful. Cash is king, right? Mm-hmm. So the answer to that question is it depends, right? Which is That's a lot it. of answers we get. Sorry, Jay. <laughs> you know no, I fully expected that. And, and quite frankly, if you, if you came out and you said, well, I would do this and you were very confident in your answer, then I would kind of sit back and scratch my head and be like, I don't, I didn't give her enough information for her to say, this is what you should do. So yeah. it's not that I was testing you. It's it just, it sounded like that's what I was doing and I, I didn't mean for that. So yeah, no, that's okay. When people ask me, you know, people will ask after I do talks or workshops, they'll come up with a very specific question. Yeah. And my style is to ask a lot of questions because I need to understand all of the pieces and I need to understand where do you want to be in five years? Because, yeah. you know, for someone back in the day, I used to work with people who were more in a crisis, you know, like our, our businesses evolve over the years. Right. And so when I first started, out when I first started my business, which I actually, it became a business in 2012. I had people who would come to me who were negative each month. And so that meant that they were really in dire straits. And, you know, I had a gal who had 20 something thousand dollars of a maxed out credit card at, I don't know, 20% or something like that. And her interest rate had adjusted from 10 to 20%. Well, she was a librarian, you know, and she was not spending frivolously. She was living on the edge already and just, you know, managed her money, but then maxed out this card and then the rate went up. And then all of a sudden she was negative. So she came to me and, you know, she's like, what do I do? And there was not any room in her budget to trim expenses. I mean, her budget was bare bones Yeah. and increasing her income is something that she just was not ready to look at doing. You know, all of her hours were at the library and she that's the life that she wanted to live. And so the option was to settle her debt. There are pros and cons to that. And, um, you know, we ended up settling that debt. Did it wreck her credit? Yes. And so I had to be very clear knowing that if that's the path that she chose to go down, that she wasn't going to need to buy something in the next two to three to four years because during those times, she was going to need to rebuild her credit. So, you know, credit is just a moment in time. And if you look at it that way, then you have a, a lot more options available to you. And in the end, it was a really good decision for her. And now that settlement is, you know, if it's not off her credit yet, it's pretty close to being off her credit. And she's, she was able to feed herself and get herself to work in the meantime. And that's really what it comes down to is like money is great. Money is fun. Money makes our lives better. But ultimately the job, the goal of a business or any 
you know, any endeavor that you do, its job is to put money into your personal bank account. So right. if you're looking at investing in real estate because you think it's cool, <laughs> you know, it is. It's really it is. cool. Well, there's parts of it that are cool and then there's yeah. there's parts of it that are sexy. Like the flipping uh the uh, flipping guys, they're pretty sexy. I'm not one of those folks, you know. I'm the old boring, hey, let's buy a property, let's hold on to it for a few years and see what we want to do with it. But it is it's it's amazing how quickly you can build wealth by investing in the right piece of real estate. Yeah. The right piece of real estate. Well said. Yeah. Cause there matters. You, you make money in real estate when you buy. You do. You do. I'm a firm believer of that. And I had to get one under my belt. Uh, was the first one that, uh, I didn't do that. So I, I know you're right. <laughs> you, know, you live which, and you learn. You do, which was in 2006, by the way, when I bought that property. So you threw a lot at me there and I'm trying to digest it because I didn't make as many notes as I should have. You said something earlier about that jarred my memory. Talked to a guy last week. He's introduced me to this infinite banking strategy. Are you yes. So I walked away from that conversation more confused than I went into it because it's like money just magically appears out of nowhere. And I wanted to, so with you being a financial coach, I was like, hey, do you know about this? Have you talked to folks? And when you coach people, do you tell them to do it? And Great question. for people who are not, or can't see you right now, because I'll put this on YouTube as well. Your, your smile just went from ear to ear. So apparently this is something you're excited about one way or the other. So, so tell me what's your thoughts on the infinite banking strategy? Cause well, it's, you new, and right? I, it's, it's a new concept, right? It's uh no, it's not okay. a new concept. It's actually been around for a very long time. It's just one of those secrets. Okay. It's a, a well-building you know, secret, things, right? And it is very complicated. So I'm a little hesitant to talk about it myself because I like to be the guinea pig in my business and I don't okay. recommend things to clients unless I've tried them myself. And the theory behind infinite banking is... Um, a By the good, way, are you sitting on an exercise ball? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm just... Yeah. No, because you're rolling back and forth, uh, bouncing up and down. I was like, what is she doing? Like, yeah, I'm sitting. Okay, I'm sitting no, I was just trying to figure out what was going on. I was like, there's, there's got to be something going on. So that's, yeah. anyway, that's how my mind works. So you're getting a, you're getting a core workout while we're having this conversation. That's yeah, well, I half the day I'm on the ball and half the day I'm in a chair. Okay. But, and sometimes I'm on the floor. I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah. Well, you got to keep the core strong for those 14ers, right? That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to get back on point here. Okay. Sorry. I do that a lot. Uh, infinite banking strategy. You were talking about, you want to be the guinea pig, but you're really excited about this concept. Yes. And so I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to talk about it. I'm not, okay. I'm not even sure if I want you to air this portion of it because I can't really educate in an educated way, give people the nuts and bolts of how infinite banking works. But my okay. understanding well, let's of it. Go into that much detail. Let's just, let's just talk about why you're excited about it. Well, in the end with infinite banking, you end up with a pile of money to use however you want. And it is secured with a life insurance policy and a big life insurance policy, like six, 700, 800, maybe a million dollars. And the way to get to that point to have a, a cash value life insurance policy that is that big is through a HELOC. All right, we'll leave it at that. I don't want to. I don't want to put you in any kind of uh, trouble or get myself in trouble. I think that the what my lawyer likes to say or uh, wants me to say is uh, this conversation is for entertainment purposes only. Mm. Right. Seek out financial advisors and legal professionals before you do anything that you may think we implied 
on this podcast. All right. So I know we're running up on time, but I want to dive into this blog post you you recently put out there on financialimpact.com was the unique challenges high earners face. You've got five points on there. Number one was you're good at making money, but not managing it. Number two is you have cash flow, but no assets. It's amazing. Um, you don't know where your money is going. Number four is you're paying too much in taxes. Number five, you don't have a plan, strategy, or system. So I want to touch on number two, four, and five. Okay. But before we do that, let's put some parameters around what is a high earner um, monetary wise. What do you, what do you consider a high earner? Is it a six figure? Is it a small six figure person? Is it seven? What's, what's that number? Generally a hundred K and up. I mean, really a high earner is going to be someone who's making, you know, yeah, I, I, six figures and up. Or is it relative I, to the I, crowd? I, I mean, I work with people who are making $253,000, $500,000 a year, and yeah. they're literally paycheck to paycheck. Which is amazing to me, but I, I think it's all relative, right? As far as I think it goes, and I think a lot of it goes back to that financial education, right? Yes. And, yeah. um, because you and I are no different than them as far as how much education we got when we were, or when we received, when we were, I hate the word guy. I don't know why. So every time I say, but I say it frequently, I try to correct myself. But the the thing is that, I, well, we talk, we beat that dead horse. I mean, there's no financial education in yeah. the U.S.'s educational system. So it, when I hear that, it doesn't shock me as much now for everybody else who's, for a lot of other folks, that's going to be like, well, how do they, you know, they're, they're, cause what they're doing is they're, they're in the back of their mind, or at least I used to do this too, is they take their salary and they put in that multiple of whatever that number is, right? Well, if somebody's making 500,000 and they're making paycheck to paycheck and I'm only making 50,000, how is somebody who makes 10 times more? I do that. Yeah, I did that math, right? I did mm -hmm. that second grade math, right? <laughs> how is somebody who's making 10 times more than me living paycheck to paycheck? You know, and they do that math, but there's a lot of variables in there that they don't, don't go over. So I want to focus on the cash flow, but no assets, right? So the definition of an asset is something that generates money for you, right? Do you consider your primary house an asset? Absolutely. I do because my primary house is an asset. I actually short term rent. I live in a huge house and I turn my basement into a bungalow okay. and I rent the second and third floor. I do Airbnb. Awesome. Okay. But, but I'm going to caveat that and say, if I lived in my whole house and I didn't earn any income from it and I lived here by myself, it would be a liability. Absolutely. Cause that's just money out with interest. Yeah. Every month. And so I've had this discussion several times and we, you know, we'll buy out how this is our third kind of live in flip. Um, no, I'm, excuse me. This is our second live in flip. The previous house we were at, we just timed the market, right? Um, and we walked away. We owned the house for three years. We put maybe 10 grand into it and we walked away with a little over a hundred thousand in equity. Um, now, when I tell people that story, they're like, well, your house was definitely an asset. I'm like, well, I agree in that scenario, but it's not your primary residence is not necessarily always an asset. Right. So do you agree? Like in that, 
and I left a bunch of variables out there of what our mortgage was, what our tax deduction was uh, on our mortgage and all that. But do you agree in that scenario where we own a house for a few years, we, we put the minimum down payment down, right? We put minimum uh, improvements in and we walk away with a hundred thousand. Is that considered an asset? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A live in flip. I like your lingo. You know, this is how my family has built our real estate portfolio. You know, I was hoping my, you say empire because then I would say, I was going to say empire. <laughs> <laughs> but what is an empire? Like to me, it's a little empire. To some, it's a huge empire. And then to others, it's like, oh, you know, you only have 15 in your family. Well, we've got 50. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so what is an empire? I don't know. I, I don't know. All I'm saying is 15 is a lot to manage. Yeah. Do you manage? Do you manage them yourself? We have a whole team. Okay. Yeah. I don't, uh, you know, one of the things that I stress in the W2 Capitalist is you outsource what you can outsource. You don't need to be taking the calls for toilet repairs and stuff like that. You need to focus on your job, being great at your job, and then focus on taking that money and putting it to work for you, right? And yeah. Earn, invest, repeat is our mantra yes. that we try to impose on people. Okay. And you know what you're talking about there too, you know, it also comes down to the highest and best use of your time. And really, and this is, part of what I'm coaching people is to really consider like, where are you going to be the most valuable on a day-to-day basis in terms of making money? You know, like I call it your money maker. Like for me, my money maker is my brain. Yeah. <laughs> but, for, but for someone for most who's people, built, it is their brain too. For others, it could be some other part of their body. I don't know. That, hey, that's right. I was going to say it could be your hands. It could be something else. Yeah. <laughs> resources in your life that could be your money maker and so there's always the question of and this is what we don't learn in the world and society is to really take back control of what kind of life do I want to be living and then how can I best spend my time and my money to create that life it's all about the lifestyle design and no like there is no reason that you should be fixing a toilet when you can be looking for deals yeah yeah, and I'll um so I'm gonna throw myself under the bus a little bit because we it's our live and flip, right? And I put baseboards down in this entire first floor. We redid the entire first floor, but I put the baseboards down. Um it took me a couple of weekends. I'm gonna leave it at a couple. Reality it was probably like four or five. Yeah. But uh there is something about this, it, you know, it's not a monetary thing. It was, hey, I need to do some mind numbing work, put my earphones in listen to some podcasts and just, you know, no deadline. I just kind of need to work with my hands for a little bit. And so, so the, I was telling the group, the mastermind members that, um, that I was doing that and they were like, is that really your, you know, they were giving me a hard time. They're like, is that the best use of your time? And I was like, right now it is because it's a big stress reliever for me. Right. I'm, I'm doing work with my hands. I'm probably cutting my fingers up. You know, it's, Cause I'm clumsy and when saws are involved, it gets, it gets bloody. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. You outsource what you can, but there are those times where you have, you know, there's, it's more than just money. Right. Um, the number four thing, um, and I'm, and by the way, I may, uh, title this show, uh, something about moneymaker. I'm going to have to go back and, and yeah. listen to how you said <laughs> 
uh, maybe it's use your moneymaker to build a real estate empire. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. But um, number four on that blog post was paying too much in taxes. Uh, you had a spot on there about uh, Roth IRAs, which I don't participate in right now. And I know you're probably going to get on to me for that. But how much should a real estate investor who somebody, and I know it's all relative, but what is a target tax? I mean, not the tax bracket, but as far as, you know, you get your taxes back and you're saying, okay, here's how much you were actually taxed last year. What is a target that you, or is there a target you focus for, uh, for your players, right? Well, I mean, as low as you can go, right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to pay the least amount of taxes that you possibly can. I didn't finish Legal. that question. Legally, you want to do that. But what is the lowest you try to get to not raise an audit flag? Oh, well, I don't get into that at all. I let my okay. CPA handle all that. I okay. even My CPA does all that for me too. Okay. But it's always honest. For me, I never want to do anything that I'm going to have to look over my shoulder and wonder if it was the oh, right yeah. decision. And when it comes to being an entrepreneur, being a real estate investor, there's a lot of gray in terms of what you can and can't write off. So I always right. say, you know, you want to work with a really good CPA who understands your situation. And when it comes to retirement accounts, you know, like the Roth versus the traditional versus maybe you've got a W2 job and you've also got a 401k and yep. you've got a Roth option on that too. So again, there's no blanket like you should have a Roth because <laughs> sometimes in the chapters of in the chapters of your life the ebb and the flow of building real of building wealth and you know potentially buying real estate and making it grow uh, there's an investing period of your life where you're pouring money and maybe time into those investments and you're having to hold on to every dollar that you have right now right because right. seasons and then there are times when you're just totally flush and the money is coming in and you know, you're pondering your next move and you're trying to figure out, well, okay, how can I reduce my taxable income? So, so my feeling about the Roth and the traditional IRA is, and I've looked at all the numbers. I've talked to a ton of financial advisors about this, have both, have the option to do both because some years you might want to reduce your taxable income. Yeah. And other years, you might just want to knock out, you know, put six grand into your Roth knowing, and this is what I love about the Roth, you know that no matter what, you can pull that money out when you reach retirement age tax-free. Yeah. That is huge. That, that, that's a big, big step. Um, that's probably why, like I do the minimum for our 401k just to get the match, Right. Um, cause to me, that's just money. If you don't do that, that's just money. You're, I mean, that's house money, right? Or whatever, how you want to phrase that. But I don't, I don't do the Roth because I don't want to wait until I'm 59 and a half or whatever the regulation is going to be at that time to get access to that money. Um, yes. so that's, I, that's the season that I'm in right now. Right. We'll see if that changes. Um, I totally forgot what I was going to say. I was going to pick on you for a minute. Oh, you said uh, there's no blanket for Roth RAs. And this is how my brain works. Immediately, I thought, hey, that would be a great marketing thing for Snuggie, right? The 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 blanket that's also, I don't know. Do you know what a Snuggie is? Oh, yeah. So if they just had, this is the blanket for Roth RA, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a dork. Anyway. So, <laughs> The, Money words <laughs> unite. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the last uh, or the number five bullet point on that blog post is you don't, and we'll wrap it up because uh, we're way over time, but you don't have a plan, strategy, or system. And this is where I think you come into play, right? As you help coach these folks. I mean, you imagine, you know, you imagine coaching volleyball, right? And I don't know anything about volleyball, so I'm going switch, to switch to baseball real quick. <laughs> but when you come out, when you first start playing baseball, at least when I first started, I was like four or five, right? You're the the ball was on a tee. You got to take a couple of swings at it. Then you take off running, regardless of not, regardless if you were out. You got to stay on the base and run the next next spot. Then you move up a league, right? So you're you're getting uh, better strategy. You're getting to, into a better system. You're getting a better plan of how to excel at that sport. And you can probably give a volleyball analogy that I would understand. I just don't. I don't know anything about it. Um, I imagine you have clients that are t-ball esque right where you're having to put the ball up on the tee for them to swing at and then there's others that you're throwing the ball at them it's a little bit more difficult so how does somebody start uh getting on a correct plan and then when do they know because it you know basically in baseball it's age right you go to four to six year old then you go to little league and then you go to the next one like 13 and under and then you go to high school ball it's age driven that says, Hey, this is when you should go to the next league. But in back to the financial educational gap, there is no, and I'm going all over the world to try to get to this question. There is no, uh, set in stone qualifications to say, look, you, you have successfully conquered this league. You need to bump up in your mm -hmm. financial education league league. Right. So how do you know when to push somebody into the next into the next league? Say, so look, man, you you've done it or or lady, you've done everything you can in this league, you've conquered it, you are the world champion at T ball. Mm -hmm. You need to bump up to little league. Mm -hmm. And here's what we're gonna do. How do you how do you know how to do that? Or or when do you know to do that? Does that make sense? It does. It's a great question. And is it is the answer it, it depends? <laughs> the answer is you know, we're all in a different place financially. And, and when it comes to money, it's people come to me because they, you know, either they don't know what to do with their money or they're afraid of money or money's running their life and they don't know how to, you know, figure it out. So it's, it's really comes down to when, how much energy, how much time does someone want to put into getting to the next level? Because for some, it's just about like getting comfortable, you know, just knowing right. that no matter what your finances are on autopilot every month, your assets are growing. Yeah. And you know, if you're, if, if from where you are based on the income that you're already earning, that's where I start. It's not like, Oh, we're going to go buy real estate and we're going to go create another stream of income. No. What is the money that you're already earning right now? Let's yep. put it to its highest and best use. Knock out these pillars. We're going to polish up your credit. We're going to tee you up so that you can go and buy property if that's what you want to do or start your next endeavor if you want to quit the grind and follow your heart, whatever it is. So it's a life-changing event. Yeah. And, you know, some people want to take the next step and go to the next level and others just they're comfortable. They're comfortable yeah. where they are. And as long as their dollars are going where they need to go, that's, that's enough. And that's fine. Everyone's in a different, in a different place, you know, and the other thing you asked me earlier is how, you know, how do I work with people? Some people don't want to work with me for three months. It's like, no, I just want to get, I want to plan. I want to know where I am I and what do I need to do to get to the next level? Just give it to me straight. So I have a product for that. I call it the impact session and we meet for three hours with a follow-up two weeks later 
and I produce a report and it's like, here are the step-by-step instructions for how you get to where you want to go. Yeah. It, and so it's funny you said that cause I've been, um, so I launched the mastermind more about me. I'm sorry, I, but I, I, this kind of <laughs> relates to what you're saying. Um, is that in November I launched the mastermind and got 20 folks in there who are just killing it to the point. Our last, last call was like, look, I'm, um, so every call we have an accountability hot seat, we put one member on there. We talk about how they've been tracking their goals and whatnot. And a lot of folks have been so successful. They're like, I don't know what to do next, you know? And I've been thinking, well, maybe this is just a three week course that I need to, I need to spin off a different product and say, look, here's a three week course. I'm going to put you on this and this is going to, you know, and not three week, three month course. Um, I'm going to put you on this and then you decide if you want to continue on or not, because it is once you establish that baseline and they, they accept and adopt the system, I've been amazed at, at the progress they've made, right. And the successful things they've been able to do. There's a lot of, so we have a weekly call. Uh, there's a lot of members who can't make the weekly call because they're out doing the things they committed to do. And that's the highest and best use of their time. And I get it. Uh, and I'm glad to have coached them and pushed them on their way and, you know, mentored them to say, look, you know, that's, that makes me, you know, pound my chest a little bit, but I'm also like, how do I, how do I get this? How do I take this business to the next level? So it's interesting to hear you say that because it's very similar, you know, um, swim lanes, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. I mean, money is an adventure and it's like life, you know, the more you learn, the more you grow, the more you grow, the more you want to grow and you just keep meeting new people, new ideas, new inspiration, you change, you know, you decide to go in a different direction. Yeah. And it's all very exciting. And it start, you know, it does start with the people you're spending time with and learning from. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, what really has taken my business to the next level and my investing for that matter is hiring a coach and surrounding myself with people who are super excited about it. And they talk about things that I'm interested in, but in a different way. And it's like going up a ladder. You just keep learning things. That's, and that's the thing about the mastermind is people, you know, cause I ask for feedback, Hey, wh- you know, what can we do different? What can you improve? What do you like? And the biggest thing they like uh, about, or the feedback that I got this last quarter was I just like being a- around like-minded people. They're saying the same thing, but in a different way. And it's making those light bulbs go off like, Oh yeah, it's, you know, it's not rocket science. It is what we're doing. We all know how to do this. It's just when it's put in a different verbiage, it clicks for other people. So it's, um, I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking we've been talking a lot about seasons and different seasons for investors and, um, financial spots in people's lives. Maybe, um, that, you know, you, you and I are both in the same seat. Maybe, maybe our courses should be based on the seasons, right? And we can put those people, well, you're in winter, you're in summer, you're in spring, you're in fall. Maybe there's a, a service or product that, uh, we should collaborate on or something like that. I don't know. My mind's going, you got my mind. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm all about collaborating with people. I'm, I'm working on a course right now with the founder of well wallet working on an e-course and it's just for the people who, what's up? Who is well wallet? One is it? Well wallet is a financial wellness tool. It's like mint. Okay. It's a spin tracker. It's a conscious company, a PBC public benefit corporation. I don't know. I got this confused look on my face because that, that, for some reason, well wallet is registering, but it's none of that. You just mentioned 
Maybe I'm connected to it in a different way. Maybe that's it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'm not connected to it at all. And I'm confused, and that's why I look this. Way. All right, but but that you know that's this is why we created the course together is because we saw a gap. You know, we, there's a gap where for people who are working a full time job and yeah. they want to get out of it, and so the course is called "Quit the Grind and Follow Your Heart." And maybe there's a collaboration for us around the seasons that has to do with real estate investing or going to the next level. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, definitely want to follow up on that. That's uh, we can take that offline. So. Yeah. Um, we're way over time. I think we scheduled like 20 minutes for this and it's been an hour and 10 minutes, <laughs> which I'm okay with. I just, I'm taking a long lunch, but thank you very much, Holly. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Can they register to find out when the book's coming out? Because uh, I definitely want a copy. Uh, if it's too much for me to ask for an assigned copy, then I'll. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am but, signing copies awesome. when it's published. It will be published later this year and you can find me at financialimpact.com. Okay. I'll link to that in the show notes. And you're also on Instagram, tell me Facebook. where you're Facebook. And Obviously Facebook is how we connected, right? Facebook, yep. Instagram, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Awesome. Holly, thank you very much. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.